Welcome to the Jelly Cove Book Club, where we love to have cozy chats about the books we're reading and celebrate all things bookish. I'm your host, Sophie. Whether you're listening to this on the beach, in your car, or while you cook, I hope every episode feels like a sunshiny getaway for your mind. So get comfy, grab a fun drink, and enjoy. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Jolly Cove Book Club. We're having a very early morning recording today. I'm with my girlies, SG and Issa, of course. And we're about to talk about Ruthless Vows, book two in the Divine Rivals Letters of Enchantment series by Rebecca Ross. I'm so excited. I'm literally bursting to talk about it with them. Okay, good morning, good morning. How are we doing this morning, ladies? We are doing great. Good morning. Good morning. Some of us stayed up very, very late last night finishing this book because we're not good book club girlies, but (laughs) we all got it done even if it was at 2.15 in the morning. So we were, full disclosure, we were meant to record this last night. Um, We usually record in the evenings, but the girlies were behind a little bit on our reading and it's so fine. This book is not short. It's like this over book 400 is longer pages. than the other one. It's almost a hundred pages longer than the other one. It was a juicy book, and it took a hot minute to get through. The only reason I got through it fast is because I had a really long flight, like two really long flights in the past week. So I got lots of good reading time in. But yeah, they they I couldn't believe honestly that you guys finished it last night. Like SG was only a hundred pages into it at like eight p.m. when we left dinner because we went to <laughs> dinner last night instead of reading because that's the kind of girlies that we are. Our priorities really are showing. (laughs) Well, also, Issa was in town. It was really, really special because it was the first time the three of us were able to hang out together since Issa's wedding back in December. Exactly. We had to take advantage. Of course we had to. Honestly, I feel so loved that you woke up this early for me just so we could hang out. Oh my gosh. Of course. Always. Of course. We went to a Mexican restaurant. It was delish. We ate lots of queso. But honestly, I have to say it was like tough for me because I had finished the book and I just wanted to talk about the book so bad. But it was also good that you hadn't finished the book because it meant that we could save it for the pod. Hundred. So let's start off with a little Jolly Drinks Corner. Keep in mind, it's like 7 a.m. So I'm on my second coffee of the day. It's an iced latte with a little splash of maple syrup, and it's so good. I don't, I never Ooh. do iced lattes these days because it's winter and it's cold, but I already have my first coffee at like 5 a.m., so I wanted to switch it up and have an iced one. Can we see your cutie cup? Because you were like swirling it earlier, and it looked really yes. cute. I have um, a little oh. Valentine's-y like to-go cup. I don't know why. I just That's sometimes – so cute. Sometimes I love a paper cup, you know, not to be like so wasteful. But it's cute and Valentine's Day. love to be sustainable queens. <laughs> this is not sustainable, but it's cute. <laughs> oh, it's a paper cup? I'm yeah. good. She was caught in 4K. Caught in 4K with my paper cup. It's really stinking cute. What are y'all drinking? I just have like an espresso coffee pod with some Chobani creamer and just Yum. a teensy bit of like a sprinkling of Trubia in there. Yeah. What Chobani creamer do you use? I feel like that's very important. Oh, I've tried a lot of different ones. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Like, I love them all. I think the one I have right now is the sweet cream one, Mm -hmm. which I've just kind of realized I'm more of like a vanilla girly than a sweet cream girly. It tastes a little too milky. My favorite is the peppermint mocha. Yes. Or is it just like mocha? I don't Mm -hmm. know, but it comes out at Christmas. And it is so good. I love it. So good. I always stock up during – Christmas time. They also, their pumpkin spice was my favorite creamer like that I tried. Chobani is great. I heard they have a s'mores flavor and I've been looking and it must be rare because I've never seen it once oh in a gosh. store. But I know it's out there and I'll continue my search. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Chobani Creamers. <laughs> <laughs> I wished. We've been going on for five minutes. No, honestly, please, Chobani, please. Please. I love you so much. I seriously do use the peppermint <laughs> mocha creamer. I stock up too, Isa, and I use it in my hot chocolate every time I make hot chocolate. Like, <gasps> If I don't, it's like a sad hot chocolate. Love that idea. So good. Isa, what are you drinking this morning? I'm drinking – it's just a chai tea with nothing in it. Ooh, nice. Pretty plain. But it's tasty. And my mug is so cute. It says, the grass is greener where you water it. 
Oh, I love that. That's really precious. We love an inspirational mug in the morning. It's only been like a week-ish since we last recorded, so I don't know that we have like the most, you know, enthralling life updates. Like Issa didn't get married again. (laughs) There haven't been any weddings or big moves or anything in the past week, but I don't know. What do we have to life update? Anyone got anything? I have a very, very big life update. Oh, let's hear it. I've been wanting to try this for forever, but I finally tried brown mascara. Mm. And let me tell you, I did not believe the girlies when they were saying, like, it will change your game because I have brown eyes and I was like, and I already have like very dark eyelashes. So I was like, I don't understand like what brown mascara is going to do for me until I saw Avery Woods was using like the YSL brown mascara. And like, that's next on my like to be purchased Sephora list that's like my what's in my Sephora cart but I wanted to just try like Tower 28's brown mascara and so I got some a couple of days ago and I've been wearing it I don't wear it when I'm doing like you know like a full face of makeup like when I'm doing like one of my no makeup makeup looks like just like a light makeup look for like running around town and stuff I've been putting that on it's so natural looking but it still gives your eyelashes a little bit of something something a little bit of pop cute and 10 out of 10 recommend. Y'all need to try it and then report back what you think. Please drop me every single link ever. I love that. Issa, do you have any life updates? I've been on a horse girl journey, as you've heard. Oh, I'm obsessed <laughs> I feel like that's with this. My biggest life update. I just wanted to reconnect with the environment, <laughs> with myself, <laughs> with Mother Earth. No, for real though. Every time I go on vacation, I would be like, I want to go trail riding. I want to go to a barn just because I really missed it. I grew up horseback riding. That's the backstory. Like I was on my high school, had a team. And before that, I rode a lot and I missed it. And so I just looked up barns near me. And then I literally called so many barns and I found one went to it, was freaking out because it was in the middle of nowhere, like most barns. Mm-hmm. And I'm like texting everyone like, are you tracking me, please? (laughs) (laughs) Made it to the barn. Literally the coolest people ever. Super sweet. The animals are really taken care of for. And yeah, so I've been on a horse journey. I've been taking lessons every week so far. It's only been a couple weeks. It honestly makes me so happy and it's so inspiring, especially that you just like seeked it out. It's not like you had a friend that like went to this place. You're just like, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go by myself. It's honestly really impressive and inspiring. Thank you. It's made me want to do a million different like hobbies that I liked when I was little. I feel like that's how you really reconnect with your soul. So exactly. So my next thing is I want to take a dance class because I also did ballet forever and I miss that. So I feel like I need to take an adult ballet dance class. That's my next bucket list thing. Maybe a painting class. I don't know. It's it's the year to reconnect love, with our hobbies. This is so cute. 2024 so is about healing the inner child. <laughs> Reconnecting with the inner child. Truly. I don't know how much I have to heal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but that's my excuse to go horseback riding. Oh, that's so good. My life update. So I since we last recorded, I went to Las Vegas for a week. And then we got home. It was for a work trip, like I mentioned before, and on the last episode. And then it was fun. Like, it was chill. We didn't, like, do the Vegasy things, you know? It's not really my vibe. We went to some nice dinners. We went to In-N-Out several times. We got the Flying Dutchman. That's my biggest life update is that I ate the Flying Dutchman, the viral, like, In-N-Out order that everyone's eating right now. It changed both of our lives. We immediately went and ordered two more. And then we went back like two days later and got it again because we loved it. Your voice cracking when you're talking about it too. Like it's making you emotional (laughs) to think about it. No, it's really emotional. No, I saw that on your story and it looked so good. It made my mouth water. I wonder if you could make that at home. So I found a recipe and I'm going to try it. And if it's good, I'll post it to the stories and stuff because it looks incredible. Please invite us over. It's it's one of my um, meals this week that I'm making. I was doing meal planning yesterday and I'm like, where this is happening this week. I'm so excited. So I'm just feeling very happy to be back in my home, enjoying cozy home time. And that's pretty much my life update. Okay. I know also it hasn't been that long since we last recorded, but is there anything else you guys have been reading since the last app? Well, I finished um, One Day in December. Yes. 
And my opinion holds true. I think if I had to rate the book, I'd probably give it like a three star. It was just like, it wasn't the worst book I've ever read, but I don't think I would read it again. And I don't know if I would recommend it to people. But it was like fun to read around Christmas time. Like that was the only seasonal book I read for Christmas. So it was like fun and cute and cozy in that way. It's so funny because that was one of the first books that I read like as an adult reading fiction for fun again. Like it got me back into reading and I freaking loved it. And I listened to it again on Audible like as a reread this past Christmas and I loved it again. But I think it was just because I was like wanting another like Christmassy book and I knew that I loved that one before. And so I loved it just as much this time. But I like – people's complaints about it are so valid and like I fully get it. I just like some – for some reason I just – breeze past it and I'm like no I don't care I loved it (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. but it's definitely a book to say for Christmas time like I would never read this book unless it was December absolutely anyway Isa have you read anything else since our last meeting no I thought I was gonna get kicked out of the book club I barely finished this one (laughs) but I did but she did (laughs) last night we were talking about how Sophie's like our boss (laughs) So we were like, we, in our group chat, we were like, we are so embarrassed. Oh my gosh. I can't believe this. And Sophie's like, you don't have to be embarrassed. That's why on the last episode, I'm like, I don't even want to bring it up as an idea to do a second episode on this because it's a lot to get, it's a lot to read. We can talk about it later as we go more into the book. But I think this, like certain things in the book made me slow down in my reading, whereas I didn't experience that with divine rivals oh 100 percent. the first one was so like it was a fly-through book I thought it was going to take me a couple of days like close to a week to get through and I was done with it in like 48 hours whereas this one I started reading it and literally took me forever to get into it I could not get past the first 50 pages and it made me so sad but once you get into it it gets really really picks up but I agree it took me a long time to get into this one I texted y'all on Tuesday and I was like do you think I have time to read like a Harry Potter book before I start this one and Sophie was like no girl (laughs) you do not not. I have been consuming a lot of book content since our last meeting which is funny because it took me forever to get through this book too like I was very slow to get into it but then like I said on my flight I like pretty much read most of it on my flight home um but so basically I'm typically always reading two books at once one on audiobook and then one like on my kindle at nighttime and so for my Kindle book, I'm, as soon as I finished Ruthless Vows, I went back to this book I'm reading called The Paradise Problem. It's a Christina Lauren book. It's a advanced reader copy, like NetGalley thing that I got. And it's so cute. Like it was a little iffy at first. I was like, mm, this is way too like cringe. But then I'm like halfway through it now and it's getting so cute and it's so funny. So I'm really enjoying that. I love a Christina Lauren book. When is this book supposed Ugh. to – release. I know it's annoying to talk about it because it doesn't come out till May. I'm so but excited. But if you are a NetGalley girly, you can go request it and you might get it. So anyway, it comes out in May. So I'll try to remind you again in May whenever it's published, but it's so cute. And then I've been listening to the third book in the Magnolia Parks series, which is The Long Way Home, I think it's called. It's good. Like I have a love-hate relationship with the series because it's so like toxic and stressful, but it's also very entertaining and like it's beautifully written. So I really want to catch up on the series because the last book in the series comes out in February in just like a few weeks. And I really want to read that along with the rest of the like Magnolia Parks girlies. I think it'd be really fun. So that's what I'm listening to. And then lastly, I, okay, I'm not a novella girl at all. I think this is the first novella I've ever read in my life, but Audible and Amazon just released a collection of six Valentine's-themed novellas by authors like Christina Lauren wrote one, Abby Jimenez wrote one, um, who how else? Sally Thorne, I think. Oh, Ashley Poston, who wrote The Seven-Year Slip. Um, they all have like done little novellas for Valentine's Day for this collection. There's six of them total, and they are so cute. I've listened to two so far. They're about like an hour each or maybe like 100 pages if you're reading it, but they're free on Audible and Kindle Unlimited. So like if you have a subscription, you can listen to for free and they're so good. It's like listening to like a little podcast. It's so fun. That's so cute. I need to check that out. That's adorable. What's the name of the Christina Lauren book? That would be so fun to do for Valentine's. It is called, hang on. I'm going to write it down. I think it. I think the Christina Lauren one is called The Exception to the Rule. 
But if you look okay. up, um, the collection is called the Improbable Meet Cute series, which is kind of a mouthful, but that's what it's called. And they're all Valentine's themed. Meet cute. They're so cute. That's adorable. I love it. So I've listened to two of those so far, and I think I'm going to probably get through all of them before Valentine's Day. So I wanted to shout that out because, like I said, it's free to read or listen. Let's get into our overall thoughts on the book. What do we think about it just like at a at a glance? Um, I will say I liked the other book way better. Mm-hmm. This was not my favorite where I left the other one. It was like this is the book's best book I've ever read in my entire life. Um, I would have been happy for them to stick the like three months later and a year later on the end of the first book. And I feel like I would have been like sufficient. And maybe I'm not a sequel girly. I don't know maybe I realize like I think I do well with like one book unless it's like a long series because there's like lots of world building and it builds to something a lot greater um but I feel like we did more world building in this book than we did actual like digging more into Iris and Roman's story and that's kind of what I was looking for I think so I did enjoy the book though like it was a fun read once I got into it once you got past the first like 100 pages it flew by I agree I feel like it just had such big shoes to fill like if Divine Arrivals wasn't that good like this wouldn't have felt like such a contrast as far as how much I loved it and it started off so slow I agree like literally right at about 100 pages is when it got good like when they started writing their letters again I just wanted more letters I'm like I just want a whole book of Roman and Iris writing letters to each other because that's what I'm here for it's just so beautiful and I did not give two craps about the gods no fully like I'm so sorry but I just don't care about Enva and Dacker like they could have not been a part of the book and I know there wouldn't be much of a plot if that was the case but I just wanted romance it was too much like war energy without there being like a deeper like Roman and Iris plot behind it it felt more like war parts and like Dacker's like weird underworld for the sake of like filling pages I think this book could have easily been 100 pages less. Or what? honestly, what I wish they did, what I wish Rebecca Ross did, is just add 70 to 100 pages on the end of Divine Rivals yeah. just to like fill out the story and finish it up. Um, yeah. I would rather like one longer book than two full books about it. But I mean, like I still enjoyed it. It was still like a cozy, really enjoyable read. It just didn't live up to what I was hoping for. I kind of had the same feeling. I kept thinking, like, what if the gods were entirely let out, like, and not included, and it was just more focused on, for example, like, World War One, and with two war correspondents, like, keeping the same thing? I think that could have provided us with a little bit more, like, cohesion in the storyline. Mm-hmm. What I had an issue with was, like, the back and forth with the gods and then who we were actually connected with, which was Roman and Iris. And then I felt like I had – I kept, and I kept looking for it. I was like, maybe I'm just not understanding it. Like with Dacre, it left me a little bit confused. Like what are his objectives and how does he plan to achieve them? Like I feel like in other in other books, you know the villain. Okay, he wants to – he wants to rule this land, but like, what does his leadership look like? Like, aside from just having control, like, why does he want it? There was a little bit too much ambiguity than his connection with Roman's dad. Like, I don't know. There was, that's what bothered me about it. I feel like they both made him too relevant and not relevant enough. He was the main character, I had literally. A million questions. Yeah, he was the main yeah. character. Yeah. Unfortunately. It was weird because we got so much more of the gods and the world building and the details and whatever of their background, but I still had millions of more questions. Like what like what was the point? Like who I still don't even know what the point of Inva is. Like, who is she? What is her goal? Like, I don't get it. And also Roman's dad. Like, what was he doing? Did he switch sides back? Is he I was so confused. Was he part of the graveyard? What is the graveyard? You know who he was giving Loki? He was Loki giving Lucius Malfoy vibes. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's obviously, like, very much, like, devoted to, like, himself and his family's safety. Because, like, at the end of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, like, Lucius doesn't give a rip about Voldemort or, like, Voldemort's cause. Like, his (laughs) number one goal is, like, getting – his family's safe. It's like making mm-hmm. sure that Draco and Narcissa are okay at the end of this. And like, that's literally how I feel about Mr. Kit. Like, he was like, when do you get rid of this guy? Like, I don't care what I have to do. Like, I will switch sides. I will do whatever I need to to make sure that like my family's okay. 
And like, I say that almost like in a more like heroic way, but like, I don't mean it that way. I mean, like he has no spine, like he's in it for himself. Why were the gods always asking for help to the humans? Like that was another issue for me. I was like, if you're a god, you should be able to take control and like just do something like having Dacre have Roman like write and assist him in that way. Like why? If I thought you're supposed to be all powerful, I just, the gods were described like gods, but then once we met them in this book, you realize that they're more like humans. It reminded me of like the Greek mythology where all the gods or a lot of them are like very immature and just not giving God and they make a lot of mistakes (laughs) and you read some of the tales. Not giving God. (laughs) Not giving my God, you know? So I don't know. It was just... I was very confused by the dynamic with the relying so much on the lowly people yeah. when you're a god. Yeah, when it's like weird. if gods are supposed to be immortal and then like they can be killed, like, hello? It doesn't make any sense. I was going to say I feel like I was – the whole time I was reading this book, especially towards the end and like when it was – oh my gosh, when she was like about to kill Dacker and she got the sword and like she was in the – like hiding from the bombs in the museum. Like it was so drawn out for so long. And the whole time I'm like waiting for like a big twist or like a big reveal to happen or something to like blow me away. And that just like never came. It was just like very slowly rolling out all the – every little detail of how she ended up saving Oath and stuff. But it just was – it was way too drawn out and there was not enough of like a wow factor or a shock factor for me. It kind of was like happened exactly how I thought it would happen. I felt like I lived in that underworld walking through the hallways of the underworld for six years. Like I, I thought we would never get out. It was long. <laughs> and not in a good way. Not like it transported you there and you really just like no. felt like you were in it. It was like, was like claustrophobic. Also- I'm like, get me out of here. Yeah, I think too, it was really hard for me to picture it. Do you know what I mean? Like so many Mm -hmm. other parts of this book, it was easy to like put myself like in the story, but like the underworld. I don't think this is like anything on her writing. I just think when you describe something like that, like it's very difficult to paint the picture of something like that. And maybe it's just like me in my like fantasy land head where I was like, I don't let myself picture places like that. I don't go many places like that (laughs) because I was just like too spooky. I couldn't get there too spooky. I had a lot of questions about the world itself. Like I was, I kept wondering like, what is the size of this place? Like, are we in a country or are we in a continent? Because the way that they told the story, it felt like everything was really small. Like it was a small place, Mm -hmm. but then I don't, I don't know. There was, I had questions on the place itself, even though there was a lot of time that was spent on the world building. Yeah, I needed I, – I felt lost. I didn't have my bearings. I kept picturing it was in the UK and like Oath was London and these other little like smaller places they were mentioning were more like outskirts and like countryside. Yeah, that's kind of how I pictured it too. But maybe that was just because like I put them as British because they were drinking tea and all of that stuff. I feel like the first book said they were like outside of London. I think, unless I just made that up. Did they? But – it's definitely British vibes because the audiobook is mm-hmm. British. The audiobook is fully British. Should we get into the questions? Yes. Okay, first question. How did your opinion of Forrest, Iris's brother, change after you finished reading Ruthless Vows? We had a lot of speculation about Forrest, thinking he was going to be like this big character in this book, and he was such a nothing burger in this book. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. we barely saw him. And then the ending was very tragic, obviously, but I thought he was going to be like the main character in this book, like helping to save Roman from the underworld, all that stuff, but it was, was not the case. I really didn't have like a strong opinion of Forrest in this book at all. Like, obviously, yeah. he cared a lot for Iris and like, his letter at the end was very heartbreaking. Like, I'm not going to lie, as much as I was not the biggest fan of this book, like, I did cry through the whole, like, last couple of chapters. And that letter was very, very emotional, especially as an older sibling. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I feel like you're right. He was, like, a nothing character. He's not someone that I was just, like, 
I need more from him. And like the whole weird like love story plot, I was like, what? Where did this come from? That felt so out of the blue, out of left field. Mm -hmm. The whole time we think he's a snake in the grass until we get to this book. And then you're like, okay. And then, but it wasn't really there till the end. The end, they really started like giving us more. And of course you see the sibling bond and that was traumatic. So yeah. But yeah, I wish I could have had more of an opinion like as I was reading the beginning because that's when I wanted to have a m- more of an understanding from where they left us from the last book. I feel like too, like obviously when we hear Roman's story and we get Roman's, um, I guess to see everything that happened with Dacre from Roman's perspective, we're then able to in turn like interpret that that's what also happened to Forrest. Um mm-hmm. So I guess maybe that's what she was trying to do was like, I don't need to say the same thing twice. Also, I was a little bit confused how like he just kind of broke away so easily from Dacker. It's like how powerful is Dacker and why can't anyone just like leave? Because everyone eventually remembers, right? Like where they – their past. Again, back to my God's not giving God. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moving right along to the next question. Why did you think Mr. Kit, Roman's father, was heavily involved with Dacker – and were his actions justified? <laughs> like I've read a million pages of this book and I still don't understand like where he stood, why, if he was just – I mean we did kind of talk about it just before, but he just was like a spineless – I don't know if that's what the author meant it for it to be or if she wanted him to be like a good dad who was like trying the best for his kid or if he was evil, but – But if he's one of Dacre's greatest supporters, like why did he go to her apartment at the beginning of the book and had that whole thing where he was like trying to get information from her and was extremely rude and she's like I'm gonna call the police on you like that whole section later we find find out that he's extremely involved with Dacre so then why is he going to her for any information you know maybe he didn't he didn't know that Roman was with Dacre yet I think that he was very much like he became more heavily involved with Dacre as he saw how, because before he was just like supplying, he was just setting up for money and power, I think. And then once he realized Roman was working for him, he probably like drew his ties more, probably to like help Roman maybe. But I still stick by, I think it was giving big Lucius Malfoy energy. Yeah. Did he switch at the end though? Was he like hating Dacre at the yeah. end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember at the end, he was like fully, because he had there's a part in the book that mentions it that iris realizes or roman realizes that his dad's helper bruce was fully working for the graveyard graveyard and so he really was playing both sides so that he could come out okay in the end he was like so if daker ends up ruling like he has an end with them but if graveyard ends up in charge then they know that he's in with them too and so that's why I was saying okay. it was so Lucius, like yeah, truly yeah. in it for himself. That makes a lot of sense. And then he went to jail for the rest of his life, which is really sad. But I mean, good. He was literally building like gas bombs. So fair enough. Next question. Do you think Enva's actions of killing the other gods was justified? Could there have been other ways to prevent D- Dacker from taking their powers? I thought that was a really interesting part of the book where like she was the one who literally killed all the gods because she was trying to make sure that Dacker didn't do it. I felt like with Emba, my whole thing is that supposedly like she was the one that was the more humanitarian or at least that's how we're explained her energy is in the first book. Like she's the one that we should be rooting for. And so it felt disconnected to me because – She was then calling people to war, but then like nearly absent physically throughout the entire two books, pretty much (laughs) like not really there. It just like felt very selfish. And then it like if you're calling humans to the war, then you're not really concerned that like human lives are going to get stuck in the crossfire. So then is she really so humanitarian? Like what was her involvement with humans before the war started that's where I was like the consistency was lost for me a little bit I think for me I saw it more so as like Evna was trying to decide which is the like worst of two evils like she knew 
Dacre's heart because she had been with him before and like knew that his end goal was like true power whereas like she didn't want the power she knew she was going to be confined to oath for the rest of her life like her primary goal was making sure that power just didn't fall into the hands of Dacre so it's not like she was like in it for herself she was just like in it so that it would not be with Dacre if that makes sense yeah for sure I just wonder why she had to like actually kill all the other gods like could they not have like teamed up against Dacre I think that that was partly why she was telling the backstory too about like how gods can be because I think she made a comment about like all gods lie or like gods are selfish or something like that and it was like if she had awoken them and had them fight like there was a chance like she knew Dacre would kill them like if she didn't kill them like obviously when Dacre went to Luz's tomb that was his goal was to kill him and take his powers but Evna had obviously already done that and I think there had been so much fighting in the past and Dacre says this too like gods cannot all reign in unity like someone has to be in charge and so Evna saw that as her only way to eventually see peace in the human world because Evna's goal was not to, ro- to rule you know she literally went to the underworld so she could at least just leave oath but she was not like I want to be supreme goddess she was just like Dacre cannot be supreme trying to keep the peace yeah that's more how I saw it but yeah how did you guys interpret Enva's epilogue not gonna lie at that point it was like 2 15 in the morning and I was just like <laughs> what is this like extra I interpreted it as like she was fully relinquishing the ruling of the like the skyling because she was a skyling which means like the underling was like the underworld was not her dominion at all like she was relinquishing herself to like the underworld so that like the humans the mortals could fully reign the skies And she was like, I can live in peace down here now that he's not here and just, like, make it my own. Um, So that's Mm kind of how I viewed it. But I viewed her as more of, like, the underlying, like, heroine who all along, like, from the first book was trying to guide Iris in the right direction. Since we now know that that's who was coming to visit her in her dreams in Divine Rivals. So I viewed her as more of, like, almost like a guardian angel throughout the books. Yeah, I love this the scene of them in the museum and she's like helping Iris get the glass out of her mm-hmm. foot and just like being like a very motherly like healing oh yeah care. that was a really beautiful scene I love that but I do think that we could have done without the Enva epilogue I thought it was so pointless mm. <laughs> I was like I just wanted to end on like a sweet happy note with Roman and Iris but okay it was like she was trying to hit a word count and just like you know, to get that <laughs> last little few pages in for Enva <laughs> That's how that I is funny. Because I did not give a rip about what happened to her. I didn't give a rip. I just wish that we were more connected to them. Like I really wanted to – even in the first book, that was my one thing that I wish they had – I don't know if it's character development that was missing for them. But like I just wanted to be more connected, understand their motives. And then I could have like had more of a opinion – and like, if you're a sympathizer for either side, like you want to have a full grasp of like what their personalities like, like politically what they want to achieve. Yeah. I don't, and we didn't get so much of that. I mean, we did, but it was not as much as I would have. It wasn't like fleshed out. Yeah. It was infuriating to me. Infuriating. I was infuriated. That was my huge issue. I was like, if war and politics is going to become the focus of this story, whereas the uh, the focus of the other story was like the romance between Iris and Roman. Okay. So then like give us the full mm-hmm. background on war and politics because being confused doesn't do anything for us. Yeah. I feel like we got so much without getting any answers. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I feel like we're like hating on this book so hard. Like I actually enjoyed it. Like I was – I just like have a lot of issues with it, but I really enjoyed it while I was reading it. No, I enjoyed it is the thing. I actually enjoyed it. Like it was a fun read. A fun fact about the three of us too is like we will egg each other on. If we love a book, we (laughs) will all hype it up to each other. Like this will be the best book any of us have ever read in our life. If one of us is like, "Mm, don't like this, the other two of us are like, no, yes, it was terrible, horrible, no good at all. That's actually true. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Oh my gosh. The the problem is that we I think here's the issue. I think we were so excited about yeah. this like cuddly sweet romance that they built up in the first book and we were looking forward to how that was going to develop in the second yeah. because 
that was the main gist of it. And then when that didn't happen, it was like, well, what do we have to hold on to? Yeah. Nothing. I know. <laughs> the crumbs. She gave us crumbs. The next question is, did we notice any plot holes or loose ends, which I feel like we've already touched on a lot. Like, I feel like this whole book yeah. was kind of a loose end for me. So, so <laughs> there's mm-hmm. like a million. My biggest question, though, that I had at the end was, you know how Roman at the end was like writing his book and it says that it was about a boy who sailed a ship in the clouds and the adventures and challenges of his friends, yada, yada. I'm like, was he writing Peter Pan? I had not thought about that. Didn't come to mind. It says it was about a boy who sailed a ship in the clouds and the adventures and challenges and friends he met along the way. It was not always a happy story, although it was an honest one. And hope never faded for the boys and his friend for the boy and his friends, even in their moments of loss and grief. I'm like, is that not the Harry Potter? I mean, sorry, Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly it's not Harry early. Potter, but <laughs> not Harry Potter, not Harry Potter. Peter Pan. Is that what Peter Pan is about? Because it's been a hot minute since I've seen Peter Pan, but those are the vibes, right? Yeah, fully. Okay. Because it's like they go to Neverland. They literally fly to Neverland. They never grow up. On a ship. They're flying on a ship. Yes. Yes, on Captain Hook's ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cute. I kind of like that. little Easter egg of Peter Pan is cutie. (laughs) Okay, that was my biggest loose end that I needed tied up was did Roman write Peter Pan? And I think, yes, he did. Thank you for clearing that up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did. No, thank you for clearing that up for us. (laughs) 100%. I had not even put that together. I thought it was really cute. Okay, next question. Now we're getting into like the standard questions that we ask for every book, which is kind of my favorite part usually. Wait, 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 wait. I actually have like kind of a loose end that's like – please. So Roman's dad, like Mr. Kit, was like whisked off to jail. But then like Roman's mom got away like not scathed at all. And it's like she seemed like in the first book like she was definitely like – in cahoots with his plans. Do you know what I mean? Like she seemed to fully know the engagement and all that stuff was for the benefit. And then it's like, oh no, she was a perfect angel. And it's like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So for me, it was like, are we just going to ignore? Was it like she was under a spell? I don't think she was involved. She just like knew about it. So maybe that's why she got away with it. Which almost makes it worse because she could have stopped it. True. That's a good call. Next question. Did you shed any tears while reading this book? And if so, when? I did. When they were doing like basically going through where everyone was as the bombing was happening. And like that's pretty much like when we knew that Forrest and Sarah Prindle had passed away. Like just like it was kind of to me the culmination of like everyone important who we had met in the book series and like how their stories wrapped up and it was just very emotional it was an emotional journey and at like 2 15 in the morning it's a lot more (laughs) emotional too i felt the same i will say i got misty eyed a couple times but i don't think a a full tear was shed for this book i just was just like kind of getting over it with all the gods and the backstory and stuff i'm like let me get through this but every single time i got to a chapter or a letter of roman and iris i like got chills and i was like loving it i got misty eyed definitely a couple times but the one that stands out is when addy and um iris reunited with marisol and they had that like they first saw each other for the first time after like all the bombing and they got separated and she invites them in for cocoa and biscuits. And I just thought that was really sweet. And just the way that Iris was describing like their hug was really, really cute. Did you cry Issa? I feel like no, because you didn't even cry in the first book. (laughs) I I love what you said that you got misty eyed. I did get misty eyed a few times, but I think the, the one where I felt the most emotion was the one that SG said where, they were explaining kind of like where each character was, what yeah. was going on, and that was really tough because you never want to like hear stories about people that are in that scenario where you feel like the world is ending, and it was really hard to read. Yeah, that was intense. Moving along to our most swoon-worthy moment. I love talking about our swoon moments. is like my favorite part. Um, who wants to go? I think that mine was when they were in – Helena's office and it's the write me a story kit write me a story where we first meet on a street corner I spill coffee on your expensive trench coat we cross past your favorite bookshop and it's just like basically what could have been if the world were not yeah. ending tomorrow and I wrote a big old like, that's what I put too swoon with some heart <laughs> it was so good I literally have it copied and pasted right here the write me a story where you keep me 
up late every night with your typing. Oh, I have chills. And I hide messages in your pockets. I can't. It was so sweet. And this is the part that I love the most. Like like you said, any part where there was a letter or something like that, like it really brought you right back to the world we knew in the first book. Like yes. I felt chills in my feet yep. <laughs> again. <laughs> Every time that I would read a letter. I feel like for as much as I'm like kind of hating on this book, like all of the Roman and Iris moments of them either being together in person Mm. or writing their letters like makes up for that tenfold, which is why I still like love this book so much. My, I have a different swoon moment, but it's kind of wrapped up in my favorite scene. So I'll just give you – which is the next question. So I'll just tell you my favorite swoon moment and my favorite scene at the same time. So my favorite scene as a whole – is when they meet at – I think it's called Gold's Cafe. And it's when he's like on a mission from Dakar to give her a message and he has to act all professional and act like they're just old colleagues and she doesn't know. That <gasps> scene was perfection to me. Like it was just – because it's like there's so much suspense there because you don't know how she's going to act and if they're going to get caught because she's like acting like lovey with him. But he, it was just so cute. And he's acting all professional but then he bumps her foot under the table I was like giggling, kicking my feet when that happened. I'm like, this is so cute. And she obviously catches on and she's like, okay. And then, so that was like my favorite scene as a whole. But my biggest swoon is when he's like at the same scene, but he slips her the secret message along with Dacker's (gasps) message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the message says like there's the message that like explains why he was acting like that and like what the deal was. Um, But in the postscript, he says, P.S., a final note written by my future self. Yet, okay. A final, a final <laughs> note written by my future self. Because I know Not. I will be feeling this way as I walk away from you. Gods, you look so gorgeous at tea. I would like to take you to all the places you love most in the city and then beyond. Think about them. Make oh. me a list. We'll go anywhere you want to. We'll go together when the war is over. Precious Roman, you're too much. I'm obsessed. Rebecca Ross. Her writing is ethereal. Like she makes readers just feel the love. And I feel like when you read other books, like it's not – it's very rare, I feel, where you feel it so tangibly. Like every letter – It's like you're you're the character like in her shoes versus just like looking at someone from afar. A hundred percent. And he's writing this to you. I feel uh, like if the book had just been, uh, like, the two of them and, like, their correspondence back and forth, kind of like the other book was, which is why I think we love that one so much, this book would have been a million out of ten for me. Yes. Yeah. Okay, what were y'all's favorite scenes? I don't know. I feel like my favorite scene was the one – the swoon-worthy scene. Like, I kept putting them back and forth because I just loved that scene the most, I feel like. Yeah, that makes sense. The description, the writing was so beautiful. I really liked that scene when they're like together for the first time mm-hmm. in his like room and like the shower. Like, I don't know. It was so like juicy, but it wasn't like spicy in a way that was like, ooh, it was spicy in a way that was like love. Yeah. It wasn't like explicit. Yes, 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 yes. It was so filled with like romance and love and like tender Sweetness. affection. Sweetness. Tender. And I loved it. I loved it. I could have eaten it up for many more pages. (laughs) I wish they could have had more time together. Like, I wish we could have gotten that to why I wanted to read the second book immediately. was like I was craving more Roman and Iris time. And it's like, "Mm, psych, get little sprinkles. I know. We got crumbs (laughs) of all their letters. Truly. Uh, Okay. Favorite quote. Did you guys have a fave quote from this one? Because I – I wrote down one, but honestly, there weren't like as many quotes as the last book that I that stood out to me. I had two. Okay, please share. The first one I had was their souls weren't mirrors, but compliments, constellations that burned side by side. Oh, oh wow. Hundred oh, wow. percent. That's gorge. Beautiful. And then my second favorite quote is the problem is I want to hear from you at all hours. I want to read your words. I am greedy for them. I'm hungry for them. What? <laughs> it's like stunning. Stunningly so, beautiful. So, so good. So 
I want to make a comment that there were so many references to Invisible String in this book. Yes. Have you followed um, Rebecca Ross on Instagram? Because she's a queen. She's no. gorgeous. She's like really <gasps> young. She's like 30 or something. And she's so gorgeous and like cool. And she posts really fire content about <laughs> Divine Rivals, obviously, in her books. But in I brought it up because if you go to her posts, like most of her reels of Ruthless Vows and maybe Divine Rivals too, have Invisible String in the background. And I was like, she was so on it when she chose that for her Shut Swifty up. song of the book. She's a Swifty. She's a Swifty. I'm obsessed. Obsessed. It tracks like perfectly that – there were a lot of invisible string um, references in this book. I had less like true big quotes this time and more so little phrases that I loved or like actual scenes like this one, the, oh, I would betray you a hundredfold. He said his voice rising, I would betray you a thousandfold for her. Yes. Like, are you kidding? (laughs) Are you kidding? Stunning. And then I loved this one too. How I love to lose to you. How I love to read your words and hear the thoughts that sharpen your mind. How I would love to be on my knees before you now, surrendering to you and you alone. Gorge. Got to be kidding me. So good. I So like I highlighted literally all those quotes that you guys mentioned because they're just so good. For some reason, I always think favorite quote needs to be like a standalone that like makes sense out of context of the book, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So – what I wrote is – or what I highlighted, and I don't even know who said it or what part of the book it was in, but um, it says, I see the beauty in what has been, but only because I've tasted both sorrow and joy in equal measures. Oh. I actually have that one as well. I don't know. I feel like sometimes quotes from these books, like obviously the ones that are very romance heavy are so like otherworldly, but like ones like that, they hit close to home. It's like you can feel and relate to that quote. Yeah. It's just like a universal truth basically that like you can't really have good without bad. And if you did, like you wouldn't – it wouldn't hit as hard because like you don't know what bad is. So the good is great but you don't have a contrast to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have one more little quote too that I found in my thumbing. Um, It's despite our mundane lives, perhaps we make our own magic with words. I wrote – that was my second runner-up for my favorite quote. It's so good. Absolutely. I feel like for as like hard as we're being on this book, like there were so many good quotes and little scenes and moments that like if you haven't read this book, definitely still read it because it's still a beautiful story. thousand percent. Our final question, were you satisfied overall with the way that the book ended? I feel like we've kind of touched on it, but what do y'all think? Yeah. 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 Thank goodness we got like a wrap up. I was afraid they were going to leave us on another cliffhanger again. Oh, heck no. I loved like seeing Iris and Roman and what their life looked like a year later. Like that was really, really precious. My one thing that I was slightly unsatisfied about was she like – they were writing notes to each other and she slipped a note to him and she's like, but your real note is in your coat pocket in the closet. And I was like, oh, 100% she's going to say that she's pregnant. Like she's going to tell him she's pregnant. Oh, I knew it too. I was literally thinking that too. But it it wasn't. I was like, what a missed opportunity. Yeah. Anyway, not that it always (laughs) has to end with a baby or whatever. Like that's not everyone's journey, but I just thought it would have been a little extra. That's not everyone's journey. (laughs) (laughs) Sophie, I was fully on the same page, which I thought she might be alluding to because of the way she – or at least like alluding to maybe like that they wanted to start like trying for a baby because she said, um, I look forward to the next chapter, the one you will write in your story, as well as the one we write together. Beautiful. I feel like that was her saying, like, I'm ready to start trying for a baby. That's really sweet. Okay, cute, cute, cute. I'm just going to go with that, that like, they're trying for a baby. They have a baby now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fully how I took it. Okay, well, if that's the case, then the ending was perfection for me. <laughs> apart from all the loose ends, <laughs> done with you. Apart from the and the epilogue that wasn't really all our annoying. questions. <laughs> See, guys, we do like it. No, we loved it. Okay, it is time for everyone's favorite part of every episode: SG's Swifty song of the book. <laughs> what do we have today, SG? I really wish I could do Invisible String again, just because there were so no, many like references to it. Um, But it just felt like I felt very affirmed in my decision for the first book. And this may seem basic, but I really was giving like the Great War energy. (gasps) Perfect. And the other one that kind of whenever um, Boris died, I was kind of getting twinges of bigger than the whole sky. Just like a little bit. Just with like 
another all one. of the lives that were lost throughout the book. Yeah. But mostly because like she was so looking forward to life after the war with like her brother and like seeing what life would be like. Those are both incredible choices. Thank you. She never misses with the Swifty song of never. the book. <laughs> Thank you for your service. It is time for each of us to rate the book out of five stars, and then we'll calculate our average. I'll go first. I rated it four stars. Divine Rivals was like a million stars for me. This book was four. There were lots of loose ends and kind of slight plot holes and things I didn't understand, and like the gods thing was annoying. All the world building was annoying to me, but still like the Roman and Iris of it all made up for that so much that it like hit just as like the romance hit just as hard as it did in the first book like the moments that we did get so for that reason a strong solid four stars i give it a solid three stars because (gasps) i gave divine rivals i know but i gave divine rivals a 4.5 and i felt like this wasn't close to divine rivals like it wasn't like a oh they're so close like i felt like there was a significant like difference yeah. So I have to give it a three. I get that. Unfortunate, but I have to. So funny enough, I actually like fell asleep thinking about this because I was very conflicted. I knew that this was going to come up. Obviously, we do this at the end of every episode, but I felt like 3.5 was too few to give this book, but I also felt like four stars is what I've given some of my favorite books. Like I reserve a five-star read for one that I like could see myself going back to over and over again and re-falling in love with. And Mm. I kind of settled on a 3.9. I don't even know if that's like allowed to go that close to a 4. Anything's allowed. (laughs) 3.9 felt right to me because it's like I don't feel like it was a 4-star read for me. But I also feel like even 3.5, even 3.75 is too few. I think as a duology, I would give it a 4-star, but this one would be like a 3.9 for me. That is fair. I was actually toying with it being like 3.75 and but rounding up to a four. But then the more yeah. I thought on it and the more even that we've talked about like all the cute little moments and the quotes that you guys brought up, I'm like, it's four. It's a four. Because I'm still getting chills like thinking about these quotes and like little moments. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved. Okay. Our average rating for Ruthless Vows between the three of us is the 3.6. Wow. I feel like that fits though. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Yeah. Okay, 3.6 for Ruthless Vows. Still highly recommend it, though, especially if you've read Divine Rivals, obviously. Yes. Okay, I'm going to quickly announce the next book for our official February pick, since this was more of just like a bonus episode. Our official February book pick is The Good Part by Sophie Cousins. I'm so excited. The episode will be up on the last Monday of February, February 26th, and we can't wait to read along with you guys and chat about it soon. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this fun little bonus episode. I had fun. Love spending the morning with you ladies, and we will be talking with you very soon. Bye. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Jolly Cove and being a part of this book-loving community. Don't forget to tap the follow button or subscribe button wherever you're listening to this so that you never miss a new episode. And if you want to stay in touch in between episodes, you can follow Jolly Cove Book Club over on Instagram and TikTok. And last but not least, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to make our day, please, please, please go and leave a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It gives us a huge boost and helps more book lovers discover the show. We hope you're having a super cozy day and we're so excited to continue freaking out about books with you very soon. Bye!